0: Hi, this is Rob Reynolds, and you are listening to Education and Technology Futures, a weekly podcast that highlights interesting trends and connections in the worlds of education, technology, and culture. Chapter 1. Subscription models in higher education. I remember being a freshman in my college dorm back in the late 70s and reading a card with what seemed like an incredible offer. The card was from a company I'd never heard of, Columbia House, and it told me I could get eight free records for a penny if I just agreed to buy an additional record for the regular retail price. Better yet, to get started, I only had to tape a single penny to the registration form and mail it in. Even more incredible, I had a whole year to choose the one record I would buy at full price. It was a great hook and a smart move by Columbia Records to employ a mail-order subscription model to generate a new channel of recurring revenue for its music catalog. Of course, this kind of business model isn't a new phenomenon. Charles Dickens and his publisher achieved much the same goal by releasing his novels in serialized form requiring loyal readers to purchase the novels a chapter at a time. Dickens' first full-length novel, The Pickwick Papers, appeared in twenty parts over a period of nineteen months. The last part was a double issue that included parts nineteen and twenty. Each part contained thirty-two pages of letterpress, two illustrations, various advertisements, and came wrapped in a flimsy green paper front and back cover. The price for each part was one shilling except, of course, for the last double issue, which was two. As Robbie Kelman Baxter points out in her recent book, this now popular membership or subscription model has a number of key differentiating elements. First, it allows companies to shift the customer model from the transactional to the relational. It also changes the product relationship from ownership to access. And, it shifts the transaction model from a single payment to many smaller payments. These days, there isn't hardly anyone who isn't involved in at least one membership model program, whether it's for TV and movies, shaving supplies, or fresh meals delivered right to your doorstep. Even in higher education, where the market has long clung to a fairly unique and insular product model we're seeing the subscription model sneaking in at the fringes. Students can gain unlimited access to a large portion of SinGage's course materials and technology tools by paying a little more than hundred dollars per term. Straighter lines college course offerings are available through a monthly subscription plus a per course fee. My thinking is that in the coming decade these types of models will become increasingly pervasive in education. For example, It makes perfect market and business sense to use this model for offering associate's degree programs and certificate catalogs to businesses as an employee benefit. Why not give employees access to an entire catalog of degree and upskilling programs for a monthly per employee benefit charge of $125 a month. If my early experience with Columbia House is any indication, the risk to the providers offering these models will be low, while the value of relationships and recurring revenue will be surprisingly high. Chapter 2. The Impending Impact of Artificial Intelligence in Higher Education. These days that existential hum I seem to be hearing may actually be caused by the steady market buzz streaming in from the general artificial intelligence sector. Almost everywhere I turn someone is extolling the virtues of AI, imminent threats posed by AI, the latest feats of AI, or how AI promises to change the landscape in this or that market. And yes, I get the irony. This video cast is certainly adding to that noise. But if you can, please forgive this former language instructor as I think out loud a bit about how AI might alter human communication and, in the process, our core curriculum, and some of our business models for education. This past week, Google announced that its Google Translate product will soon be able to transcribe long lectures while translating them into another language in real time. Meanwhile, Amazon has shared information about its use of AI to automatically audio dub videos into other languages. Add these efforts to the rapidly growing list of other real-time translation gadgets, like the one mini pocket multilingual assistant, and you start to get a clearer picture of the future. Given the research and continued progress in accuracy and computing power, I think it's safe to say that within 10 years anyone in the world with a smartphone will be able to carry on a real-time, natural language conversation with people across the globe in at least 25 languages. This development and the virtual elimination of language barriers will have a definitive impact on how we interact globally, and also how we think about the people beyond our provincial borders. It also portends a change in the way we think about languages, their importance, and how and why we teach them. Now don't get me wrong, I certainly think we can and should continue offering language instruction. That said, it's hard to imagine languages per se remaining a required component of our core curriculum. Now, if you think a touch of schadenfreude might help you swallow that particular vision of the future, you might want to consider how AI will likely upend both the markets for general education and big volume course materials. It seems inevitable that the explosion of open educational resources coupled with good learning design models and the well-defined taxonomic structures of general education courses, will make it possible in the next decade for AI engines to deliver high-quality, customized, on-demand courses for college credit at a fraction of the cost providers currently pay to create these. My thinking is that this will likely translate into colleges and universities reducing their core requirements to only a few institution-specific courses that are designed to meet a university-specific mission. The rest of what we currently call general education courses will be delivered by authorized providers via AI and some human-supported services. And if I had to guess, I would probably count AI leaders such as Amazon, Google, and Alibaba among those authorized providers. What? Now you're hearing the same existential hum? Huh. Chapter 3 Higher Ed Institutions Sailing in Harm's Way In the fall of 1778, during the height of the American Revolution, John Paul Jones was in France trying to get a new warship to use in the fight against the British. The French government offered him a heavy ship named the Neptune that they had captured, but Jones felt it was too slow for his needs. So he wrote a letter to a French aristocrat who had already helped arrange for other types of French support for the Americans. In his letter, Jones wrote, I wish to have no connection with any ship that does not sail fast, for I intend to go in harm's way. Now, to my way of thinking, a modified version of this request would serve as good advice for the leaders of many higher ed institutions. While we may not be at war, We're certainly facing significant shifts in wind, dangerous and unfamiliar obstacles, and in many cases, unknown waters. A dwindling population of traditional students, along with new markets for non-traditional students, is creating increased competition. Increased competition is forcing institutions to add new products and services, driving up costs and tuition. An evolving economy based on innovation is creating new job categories and a need for new skills among existing workers. This is accelerating the growth and popularity of cheaper and more timely alternatives to the traditional degree. These and other currents will make for difficult and even treacherous sailing for many higher ed institutions, particularly small liberal arts colleges. Like John Paul Jones, they'll need nothing short of a fast and agile ship as they sail into harm's way. This means overhauling operational models to produce high-quality products more efficiently and cost-effectively. It means embracing new instructional and delivery models that are tailored to meet the specific needs of new markets. It means transforming existing degree and certificate offerings and being willing to discontinue those that aren't attracting enough students to make programs self-sustaining it means producing new decision-making pathways for curriculum approval, as well as new business models that reward proof of learning, career success for students, and financial sustainability for departments and colleges. For many, it will also mean new staffing models and expanding and contracting specific divisions based on market demand. Most of all, it will require new approaches to leadership. More specifically, Institutions will require leadership that brings with it a willingness to change, to make big decisions intentionally and quickly, and to not be distracted too much by tradition, the way things used to be, or the way we wish things were.